Thank you, thank you. Good morning. morning. You know, uh, I've known uh, Pastor Chris a long time, but you can tell he's a Southern Baptist preacher because he said the most important thing was what we've eaten together. Um, All Baptist preachers like to eat, especially fried stuff. So uh, it's a a privilege to be here. Uh, Honest truth, the first time I met Chris and we connected, realized we had the same name, he did not believe me. And the reason he said that about the driver's license is he made me pull out my driver's license and prove that was my name. But it is indeed. And uh, man, I'm, I'm so happy to be here with you today. You might not be able to get this because of my very distinguished and sophisticated accent. <clears throat> but I grew up in a small town in South Carolina. And more than once, I've heard some kid yell, hey, watch this. And that exclamation, did any of y'all grow up in the South? Anybody heard that before? Said just like that, hey, watch this. First service laughed at it. Okay, I don't know what y'all's problem is. All right, that exclamation usually came before somebody did something stupid or dangerous. And most of the time, it was both stupid and dangerous. Today, 4.2 billion social media users around the world are yelling the same thing. Hey, watch this. And we're watching. TikTok has taken over the internet with its short form videos, where nearly 1.3 billion active users vie for your attention. Did you know that the average person, the average person spends two hours and 25 minutes every day on social media? People aged 16 to 24 average three hours a day. Not to mention the amount of time spent watching television. More than ever before, we are bombarded with images to entice, entertain, educate, and influence. Marketers, news agencies, social activists, and influencers are working hard to grab our attention and affect our thinking. Listen to me. Every time you turn around, somebody is telling you to look at this as they seek to shape your attitudes and desires. And don't be naive. You are affected and influenced by what you look at more than you know. Today, I want to give you something to look at. I I want to call you to set your gaze on something that if you would truly look at this, it would change your life. It's a word that has the capacity to affect your attitude and your desires, a truth that you can anchor your thinking in that will fill you with hope. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to join me in 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. Not the gospel of John, but 1 John. If you need some help, the best way to find it is to go to the very end of your Bible, last book, Revelation, and start backing up. Revelation, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, 1 John. We're going to land in chapter 3, 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to read from the New International Version. 
The Apostle John says this, see, behold, what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world doesn't know us is that it didn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. With great intensity, as if he were yelling at us, the apostle John calls us to see, but not just glance, but to behold, take notice, Consider with wonder and astonishment this glorious truth. The Father, our Father, has lavished unfathomably great love on us. And by that marvelous love, we have been called by his name and adopted as his sons and daughters. But we don't just bear his name. We're created, we are recreated in the likeness, the image of his firstborn son. We are, listen to me, in every way, his children whom he dearly loves. And that, my friends, is worth beholding. It's worth looking at. It's worth watching over and over again. The marvelous love of God poured out on us in Jesus Christ, his son. It has the power to influence and impact you in ways you cannot imagine. So let's walk through it together. Let's walk through these verses and examine the love of God together. Can we do that today? Good. We're going to anyway. All right. Number one, love is a person. Love is a person. God the Father is the writer, producer, and lead actor here. He's the star of the show, the central figure. And knowing who he is makes all the difference in beginning to understand the magnitude of his love. You know this, right? The gesture is not nearly as important as the person, right? The hug of a stranger won't mean nearly as much to you as the embrace of someone you know dearly loves you. The Apostle John could have referred to God by any number of names. He could have called him creator, ruler of the universe, king of kings, and lord of lords, but he calls him the father because he wants us to understand fundam- something fundamental about the character and heart of God, the one demonstrating love to us. Throughout Scripture, God uses earthly relationships as a way to help us understand our relationship to him. Here, John calls him father. And listen, instinctively, regardless of our personal experience, instinctively, you and I know what a dad should be, right? We we know that a dad should be one who does good to his children. We, We know that a father should care about his kids. He should protect 
and provide for them. According to the word of God, a father is supposed to discipline his children and train them to walk in the ways of God. And all of this is supposed to come from a heart of compassion. That's why Psalm 103.13 says, as a father has compassion in the same way that an earthly father has compassion on his children. There's the expectation. So the father, the heavenly father, has compassion on those who fear him. I'm going to tell you, I don't think I really understood this until I became a dad. If you're in the room and you're a parent, you know this. There's something that happens to you when you hold that ugly little baby in your hands for the first time. I honestly, I didn't know I could have such compassion on something that looked so alien. Yet you know I'm right. Ain't nobody's baby pretty. They're all looking like aliens. No, all the mama said no, but the rest of us know what the truth is. Listen, y'all. I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't ready for what happened to me. When I, when I held both of my boys for the first time in my arms and this gush of love comes over me, I, I wasn't ready for how I would feel for them, the compassion that would surge up in me when I, when I, when I watched them suffer and in pain. Y'all, y'all that's, that's the father love of God. In me, it's, it's a reflection of that. It's crazy to think that what I feel for my kids is just a fraction of the love and the compassion that God feels for me. Listen to me this morning. God is the ultimate good father, and he is love. But here's, here's what I know. On a day, we've already acknowledged it. On a day like today, some of you, for some of you, talking about fathers, conjures up painful memories or, or, or even bitter disappointment. And what I want you to hear me say today is, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry that you didn't have the blessing, the advantage of an earthly father who would point you to your heavenly father. But I do want you to know this. While your earthly father may have deserted you, your heavenly Father never will. Psalm 68, 5 describes him this way. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Where earthly fathers withdraw, God steps in. He will never fail you. He will not abandon or forsake you. Nothing can separate you from the love that he has for you in Christ. Listen, it's not wrong for you to expect or desire love from your earthly father. But understand this, at best, the love of an earthly father is a dim reflection of the love of God for you. Can I tell you something? My best hope is that, as a dad is not that I will get it all right. Y'all, I've failed so many times. We've stopped counting. I have. I'm not sure my children have, but I have. 
My best hope is not that I'm going to get it all right. My best hope is not not that I'm going to be perfect. My best hope is that somehow my children will see in me a dim reflection of the father love of God for them. Number two, his love is perfect. Love is a person and his love is perfect. God's love for us is perfect in every way. Listen, it can't be improved on. In essence, John says, you need to look at this. You need to look at the Father and take note of his immeasurable love for you. He calls it great love. Listen to how the Bible talks about God's love for us in other places. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says this. Because of the Lord's great love for us, we are not consumed. Listen to me. You're not destroyed this morning, not because of something you've done, but because of God's great love for you. You're not consumed because God loves you so much, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is his faithfulness. Over and over and over again, the supply of God's love for you is renewed and available for you. Psalm 106, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. In Exodus 34, when Moses asked, I love this, when Moses asked to see the glory of God, you know essentially what God showed him was his love. This is what happened. Moses asked to see the glory of God, and God put him in the cleft of the rock, and he put his hand over him, and he passed by him, and he called out his name, and listened to the name he gave himself, the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Y'all, if that doesn't sound like a good father, I don't know what does. Ephesians 3, 17 to 19 tells us that God is so big that we need supernatural power together with all the states to be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And probably the most familiar verse in the whole Bible, John 3, 16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You really can't capture the magnitude of God's love in just a few descriptive words. The Father's love is steadfast and unconditional. It never fails and never gives up. It is sufficient and satisfying. The love of God exceeds every other love. Nobody can or ever will love you like he does. And where other loves have and will fail you and disappoint you, his love never will. His love is perfect. And church, you need to know that's the longing of our hearts. But it's not just the longing of our hearts. It's the longing of every living, breathing human being on the face of the earth. You know how I know that? Turn the radio on. I don't care what genre you listen to. I don't care what decade. You will hear it over and over again, ascribing father love of God to human relationships. 
my 13-year-old is uh, into 70s music, which I love because I, I was in high school in the 70s. And so we sing in the same songs. Like, I know them all. <laughs> he pulls them up. And we talked about this the other day. We talk, I can't remember what song it was. This was one that came to my mind, 1972. Baby, I'm going to want you. Baby, I'm going to need you. You're the only one I ever cared enough to hurt about. Baby, I'm a praying that you'll always be staying right beside me. Y'all, that's the longing of our heart. We're looking for somebody to love. And the problem is that most of us are looking for love in all the wrong places. It's there. It's the cry of our hearts. And I want you to hear me today. There is a perfect love that will satisfy the deepest longing of your soul, but it's not going to come to you in flesh and blood. It has already come in the form of Jesus and the Father love of God. Love is a person. His love is perfect. And his love is personal. John 3.16 does say that God so loved the world. But the Apostle John reminds us here that God's love is specifically for us. We are the objects of his love, the beneficiaries of his tender mercies. Look at 1 John 3, 1 again. See, behold, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. I love the language here. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. Listen, God isn't stingy with his love. He doesn't need to be. There are no limitations on his supply. He's not hoarding it. He's not holding back. God is lavishing love on us. Listen to how Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 describes it. But because of God's great love for us. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Listen, that's, y'all, that's, that's a unique love, and it's a love that's directed toward us. In his great love, God moves toward us, not away from us, for our benefit. The rich, abundant, extravagant love of God is for you, and he has directed it toward you. He's not hoarding it or hanging on to it. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ. Listen, all of God's resources of love and mercy are directed toward you. His love is for your benefit And you and I have to learn to believe that love even when we don't understand it. I know I'm not the only person in the room who struggles sometimes to understand what God is doing. Right? Some God's God doesn't work on my agenda. He doesn't answer all my prayers. He doesn't fulfill all my wishes and desires. Sometimes life is hard and disappointing and scary. I have people in my life that are praying for the healing of their six-year-old boy who's struggling with major complications in his health. I have a dear friend who's praying earnestly for the healing of his 
wife who's struggling with brain cancer. And sometimes God says yes to those prayers, and sometimes he says no. But listen, y'all, we gotta, we've got to understand that God is always directing his love toward us, even when we don't understand. You do know this. The measure of God's love for you is not your current circumstance. Your, your situation, your temporary, temporal, earthly situation is not the definitive measure of God's love for you. You want to know what the measure of God's love for you? Look at the arms of Jesus stretched out on the cross of Christ, bearing your shame and your burden and taking God's wrath for you. So I have two boys. They're 12 and 13. And as you can imagine, we don't always see things eye to eye. There are things that my boys would like for me to do for them. There are things they would deeply and greatly desire that I give them. There are things that I get asked about more than once a day. And as a dad who loves his kids, I say, no. Come on, anybody else in the room said no or heard no? All right? And you know this. You know this. The highest expression of love is not always saying yes. Right? There's plenty of times God said no to me, and I can tell you at this point in my life, I am so thankful that he said no in his great mercy and love. But every once in a while, we get into a tug of war. Not literal, but, I mean, we got a tug of war going. They're asking, I'm saying no, and it's getting intense. And occasionally, I'll stop. And I'll say to them, I got four questions for you. Four questions for you. Do you know that I love you? Do do you know, I look them dead in the eye and I ask them this, do you know that I love you? Number two, have I done enough for you for you to know that I'm for you and not against you? Number three, are you willing to admit, even at 13, that I know some things you don't know. Now, we stumble there just a little bit. It's hard for them to say that. And number four, will you trust me? And I want you to know that every time, every time, even now, standing on this stage, those four questions coming out of my mouth, I feel the hand of God the Father on me, and I hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying to me, Chris, do you know I love you? Have I done enough for you to know that I'm for you? Are are, are you willing to admit that I know some things you don't know? And will you trust me? But y'all, it starts with comprehending the great love of God for us. My other three questions don't have a foundation to stand on if it doesn't start with a conviction and an understanding that we are loved. By our Father. One more thing that I want to point out here that I want to draw your attention to before we move on. Did you notice that the language here is plural and not singular? It says us. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Listen, in our individualistic culture, 
we need to remember this. God doesn't just love me. He loves us. You aren't the only son or daughter. You might not even be the favorite. He has many children, and he loves them all. Do you know that he loves the brother on the other side of the room that thinks just like you? He loves the sister behind you who doesn't think anything like you. He loves the ones you like and the ones you don't. You need to thank God today that his love is not exclusive. Otherwise, you might have been the one that got excluded. Don't be deluded. You're not more lovable than anybody else. His love is for you, but it is not because of you. God, our Father, passionately (coughs) loves all his children. And can I tell you this? He expects you to love them too. All of them. But that's another sermon for another time. All right? Love is a person. His love is perfect. His love is personal. And his love is purposeful. His love is purposeful. Look at it again. 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Behold, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You might ask this question. For what purpose would God love us and make us his children? Why would God pour love out on us and make us his kids? Well, let me ask you this question. Why does anybody have kids? You don't have kids because you're looking for a tax deduction. Trust me, there are much easier and less painful ways to lower your taxes. You don't dream of having kids because you imagine them waiting on you and serving you hand and foot. I joke about my boys being my nursing care plan, and I, honest to God, hope they'll take care of us when we get old. But that's not the primary motivation for having them. You don't have kids because you have so much free time on your hands. You're just looking for something to do, and you need a fun little project for 20, 30, 40 years or so. You don't have kids because you're looking for somebody to leave your stuff to when you die. No. No, why do you have kids? You have kids because you dream of a family where you enjoy being connected to one another, living life together. You have kids for the sake of relationship. In Genesis 1, God says, let us make mankind in our image. I want you to just imagine this for for just a moment. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
deciding together what, what would be created. And they say together, let us make mankind in our own image. Now, I, I don't pretend to know everything that means. But I do know this, that at least part of it is that God created us to abide in relationship with him. Why, why, why would you say that, Pastor Chris? Well, listen, before anything was created, when the earth was formless and void, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit preexisted in perfect unity, in unbroken relationship, enjoying intimate communion with one another, and at least a part of what it means to be created in the image of God is to be invited into that relationship. God created us in his image, bringing us into relationship with him. But what happened? Sin wrecked it. Our rebellion cut us off. What was lost in the garden was not paradise. What was lost in the garden was intimate, unbroken communion with our God. And just as God banished Adam and Eve from the garden, he could have banished us from his presence forever. Don't you know this? Isn't that the instinct of your heart? Somebody hurts you once, we'll forgive. Twice, you keep going, and our instinct is, I can't be with you anymore. I'm going to cut you off. And God could have rightly cut us off from his presence because of the abundance of our sin and rebellion. But that was never his heart. That was never God's desire. So he came after us. Listen to me today. God wasn't looking for servants or projects or heirs. He wanted a relationship with you. So he lavished his love on you and made you his child by faith in the sacrifice of his son. This is so important, my brothers and sisters, for us to understand. Salvation is not primarily about keeping you out of hell. It's not just about avoiding eternal punishment and floating on a cloud for eternity, enjoying everlasting bliss. It's about returning to a love relationship with our God. What makes heaven desirable isn't the place, it's the one who dwells there. Heaven wouldn't be heaven if God wasn't there. And God's purpose, his purpose in loving you was to bring him, bring you to himself. His love is purposeful. It has design and intent. But his love isn't just purposeful, it's powerful. Let me read it again, 1 John 3, 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we're children of God, and, and what we will be has not yet been made known. I don't understand exactly where this is going, and I don't know exactly how we're going to get here, but I'm pretty confident according to the word. Apostle John says, hey, we're children. What are we going to look like in the future? I don't know. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Can I just say to you, that's power. When a look can transform you, that's powerful. That's the powerful love of God. 
The love of God not only reconciles us to relationship, it restores us. Ephesians 2 says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. It actually calls us children of wrath. But because of God's great love for us. The one who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace we've been saved. Listen, listen to me, church. His love brings you from death to life, and it brings you from being a child of wrath to, bringing, to being a son of righteousness. A son, a daughter, he dearly loves. Y'all, that's powerful love. That's the power of God's love. His love, his love changes everything. It transforms us. It renews us. It matures us. It grows us up. Isn't that how father love is supposed to work? In love, a child is conceived and given life, but it doesn't stop there. Real, genuine father love doesn't cease at birth. It gives itself to investing in that child and growing that child up to maturity. That's what God is doing in his children. That's why Paul would say in Romans 8, 28 and 29, and we know, we know that in all things, God the Father is faithfully working for the good of his children, those who love him who've been called according to his purpose. We know this. Well, let me just say to you, way too many of us stop right there. And then we try to define the word good. Let me tell you that God defines the word good in verse 29. For those he predestined, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. I love this. Jesus wants, a, I mean, God the Father wants a whole bunch of kids that look just alike. He wants a whole bunch of children conformed to the image of his son, bringing us back into that relationship that he designed us for. But y'all, we want to define good. We get this, 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 these verses have been misunderstood and misappropriated in unbelievable ways. Listen to me, you probably already know this, but God's number one agenda is not to make you rich and happy and healthy and successful and prosperous and comfortable and always enjoying pleasure. If that's his agenda, the vast majority of us have missed the boat. Am I right? We're still waiting on that ship to come in. Listen to me. God's agenda in your life is not to work out all your earthly circumstances. God's agenda in your life, his purpose for loving you is to conform you to the image of his son, and he has the power to do that. Listen to me. He's working towards that end, and he is not going to give up. He's going to finish what he started in you. He will not be denied. What he's promised will come to pass. You are eternally bound by his great love, and according to Romans 8, 38 and 39, nothing, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor anything else in all of creation can separate you from that love. 
Listen to me. His love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. His love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. His love never fails. That's 1 Corinthians 13. Listen to me, church. He wasn't lying when he said through the prophet Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. And in that great love, he is working to conform us to the image of his son and bring us back to himself. Love is a person. His love is perfect. His love is personal. His love is purposeful. His love is powerful. Behold. Oh, brothers and sisters, behold, look at it. Take note. Gaze at it. Be mesmerized by it today. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. But maybe you'll ask me today, why does that matter? Why why does it matter? It matters because most of the things we struggle with can be overcome by beholding the love of God. Look look at me. Most of what you wrestle with can be overcome by beholding the love of God for you. Are you filled up with fear? I mean, are you afraid? Do you know that the Scripture actually says perfect love casts out fear? Because fear has to do with punishment. And because of the Lord's love for us in Jesus Christ, there's therefore now no condemnation. I don't need to be afraid. God's got me in his great love. Are you resisting obedience? Are you all tangled up in temptation? then consider his love for you. Because nothing will bring you satisfaction and joy like the love of Jesus. Scripture says in his presence is fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Don't go chasing that somewhere else. Find it in the love of Jesus. Are you worried about the future? I mean, are you worried about making ends meet? Are you, are you concerned about what, what you're going to eat and where you're going to live and what you're going to wear? Jesus said, hey, hey, don't worry about all that stuff. Hey, t- take a look at the flowers of the field and, and, and the birds over here and, and look at how I care for them. And just remember, I love you way more than I love them. Are you struggling with bitterness and unforgiveness? Is it taking over your heart? Just think about how much you've been loved, about how much you've been forgiven of. How can you and I experience the forgiving love of God and then withhold that from somebody else? Are you self-absorbed? Are you overcome by selfishness and pride? Then contemplate His love for you And remember that when you were still a sinner, when you were a child of wrath, he gave himself for you. Are you struggling to love other people? Then remember the love of God 
for you and for all his children. Listen, most of what we struggle with can be traced back to a failure to understand and believe the great love of God for us. And listen to me, when we experience that love, it changes us. Can I tell you that as a pastor who served in the same church for 35 years, one of my greatest joys has been watching God change people and grow them up by his great love. Y'all, I've watched some transformations you wouldn't believe. If you saw some of these people today, you would never be able to conceive of them as what they, as what they were when, when God started working on them. I, I've watched people, I've watched God take people who wouldn't even say a prayer at a meal and turn them into mighty prayer warriors. I've watched him transform proud and powerful and self-sufficient men and women into humble, generous servants in the church. I've seen God put back together some jacked up, broken marriages. He's restored some relationships I honestly thought were irreconcilable. I've watched him rescue addicts. And, and bring them out of dependence on sub- substance into dependence on him. I, I've looked on as he's t- taken spiritual babies and grown them up into mature, godly men and women of the word. Listen to me, the transformational power of the love of God is not theory. It's a reality that I've observed Over and over again, there is nothing his love can't overcome. And y'all, my greatest hope for my own children is that they would experience and abide in and be amazed by that great love. Not my love for them, but the Father God's love for them. My, My greatest hope for you is that today, somehow, the Holy Spirit of God would convince you once and for all that you are loved. You are loved. Listen, some of you need to hear that today because you need to know that God can rescue and redeem and restore you. He wants to make you his son or daughter. Romans 5, 8, again, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you notice that that verb is not past tense? It does not say God demonstrated his love. It says he demonstrates it. The current demonstration of God's love for you. The today demonstration of God's love for you. The tomorrow demonstration and the day after that and the day after that will always be this. While when you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. He's not waiting for you to get yourself together. He's waiting for you to admit you can't get yourself together and turn to him. I love this word, John 1, 12, yet... To all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the invitation to you today. If you're not a son or daughter, if you're not a follower of Jesus, the invitation is receive him, believe him, trust him, turn to him, and he will embrace you and make you his child. And he will lavish his love on you. And he will powerfully and purposefully work in your life to transform you 
into the image of Jesus. Can we pray together? God, how thankful we are today that we can look at it and we can know that you have lavished your love on us in the person of Jesus Christ. God, I'm asking you today to captivate me by that. Lord, I get distracted by so many other things. I go looking for love in so many other places. I keep trying to find significance in other things. But God, you have said to me that you have lavished your love on me and made me your son. And you are continually working to conform me into your image. God, that is enough. God, satisfy me today with your great love so that I can sing for joy and be glad all my days. God, do that in each one of us by your great mercy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.